encounters improve the quality of our lives. Encounters come to reveal to us the futility of life without God. Encounters will activate purpose and calling in our life. Encounters come to restore intimacy and fellowship. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Encounters come to restore intimacy. Encounters come to reveal to us the futility of life. If you don't have a relationship with God, anything of value can become God to you. Welcome to Encounter Jesus Ministries, sustaining an experiential knowledge of God and walking in the fullness of our eternal ordination. Now, listen to God's servant, Apostle Oropo Michael, as he takes us through an encounter with the Word. Can we lift our hands toward heaven just for another few minutes and give God the praise? Can you tell him to look upon you with mercy? The fire only falls on the sacrifice. Can you surrender yourself to Jesus this hour? Tell him you are ready to walk with him. You are totally surrendered to him. You submit to his government. You submit to his will. Just make that personal. This is that hour where you go into the inner court. It is you and the Spirit of God. We gather as a congregation, but we interact with Him on a personal basis. Ask Him to talk to you. Ask Him to bless you tonight. Ask Him to reveal His word to you. Thank you. you begin to walk with the Spirit of God, there's a realm where He interacts with you from the cognitive capacities. He talks to you from your understanding. 
But as you journey deeper with God, you come to a place where wars no longer suffice. Because nothing you say can trap the essence of that realm. It's at that level that you have to look for a spirit language. He said, we do not know what we should utter. There are words that are no longer enough. So you are now talking what you don't understand. That's why we migrate from cognitive terms to tongues. Tongues are superior to human language. It calls them mysteries. It says, how be it? It altereth mysteries. At that level, even you don't understand, but you have to fellowship. So in order to participate at a realm superior to your mind, you migrate from cognitive terms to tongues. Paul said, when I pray in an unknown tongue, he said, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. But because you have to journey, you have to move. There are realms you get to, anything you say will be wrong. Because that language itself is falling. So you have to come to an upgraded language. And as you journey deeper, you come to a point where you can no longer talk. You just chant. It's now about symphonies. Because the, the Spirit of God is a flow. So you chant with the Spirit. That's why they be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Be filled with the Spirit. Your propensities have to be heightened. Speaking to yourself in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs. But when you have to interact with Him, you have to make melodies. So you can't talk there. You make melodies. So you move from cognitive utterances to unknown tongues to melodies. And then you come to another realm where is the realm of silence. Because God is a flow. It's an endless river. Let's begin from chant. So that we can interact with things that are deeper than us. That's why we chant. It's not because we are youthful. It's because we are trying to trap God at a higher realm. Can you release your spirit tonight? Forget who you are. Forget where you are standing. Connect with Elohim. Lamb of God who sits upon the throne. 
alone is worthy of our tonight. Thank you for the great things you'll be doing. Lord, we bless your name. We ask that you quicken us and bring us to higher realms in the spirit. Cause us to interact with deeper realities of your spirit. And by all means, let everyone who is connected tonight be transfigured from glory to glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. (laughs) We have two sessions this evening. And so I'll take this first session to draw the coordinates to define the paths of our navigation to help us understand the essence of all the subject of revival is about and what God wants to achieve. And then when we come in the evening for the second session, we'll take time to interact with the life and the realm. Hallelujah. We trust the Lord that nobody who walks into this place will be the same. And so later tonight, it will be volatile. (laughs) But let's begin with some level of interaction. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
Genesis chapter 2 from verse 7. When you are dealing with the word of God, there are two things that you would have to understand. Number one, the word of God are the capsules of the realities of God. The way God communicates his essence. Because the Bible says God is light. And for those of you who are scientists here, you know that light is distributed in packets. We call it quanta. One packet is quantum. It is packets of light that connects together to form what you see as a ray of light. And so when God wants to dish out his reality from his realm, he communicates them in packets so that we can interact with them. Like I began sharing with you already, you will see that spiritual interactions are in levels. When God talks to you in your known language, what he's trying to do is stepping down reality for you to interact. But as you journey with God upwards, you will discover that language will change. Even in human language, certain languages are superior to the other. Most of the words we have in English, they are a, com a, a compilation of many words. Because the strands of those realities, English don't have the capacity to trap them. So, English language is used to coagulate words together. If you go to Latin, if you go to Aramaic, if you go to Hebrew, you discover that they have more tiny elements in words that can communicate things that English cannot communicate. So, English makes some of the words in English are compound terms because they cannot define realities in isolated form. They compress them together and collocate them and give them one word to mean many things. That's because Latin, Hebrew, Aramaic can explain things at a deeper realm much more than English can. That is among human language. But you see, no matter how much you communicate in human language, it will be difficult for you to talk at the level of spirits. That's why when we begin to speak in tongues, like Paul said, he said we are speaking the language of angels. At that level, our mind is withdrawn. But we still have fellowship nonetheless. So at that level of fellowship, the goal is no longer just to understand. The goal is to experience and to be transfigured. So when you are talking at the spirit level, you are becoming. Because at the spirit level, you don't need to pass through classes necessarily. Where knowledge is broken down. It's like a photocopy machine. When the light passes through, what is on the original is duplicated on the plane sheet. And it is identical. 100% precision. So, as you move into the spirit realm, you discover that communication is at a level beyond the mind. Communication becomes spiritual. That's why you speak a language that your brain cannot understand. At the end of the day, as you are speaking it, you discover that you are making progress. That's why sometimes you are speaking in tongues, you just know that you should be in Accra tomorrow. There's no fact to explain it, but you just know. So you bycott cognitive interaction into spirit interaction. How you get to know, you can't explain it to anybody. Anybody who wants to know as you know, must also journey to the place. Because now, knowledge is about location. Knowledge is about transfiguration. Where you are standing is what makes you know. 
So while you are speaking in tongues, you are traveling. You are not necessarily talking, you are traveling. So you get to a place where knowledge becomes personified. You can tell that that journey you are supposed to make by 10, delay till 4. You won't know why. If you delay, many appointments will be affected, but delay till 4. And when you delay, eventually you'll be told that something went wrong. People lost their lives. How you got to know, you can't tell. But you were talking a superior language. And that language made knowledge to become part of you. And one thing that knowledge gave you is a reality beyond fact. Because of the design of man. It's the way man was designed. That's why man has to interact at different levels. If man interacts only at the level of his brain, his potentials are marginalized. He is designed to operate beyond the brain. Only fallen men operate at the level of the brain. When you begin to interact in the spirit, you are expected to operate at a realm superior to your brain. And the reason it's so is consistent with your design. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, we saw that God embarked on the project of man. And the Bible said, God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a metamorphosis took place. The one that was formed from the dust of the ground became a living soul. But the shocking thing here is the fact that even the one that was greeted was man. Because in Genesis 1.26, it said, let us make man in our own image. After our likeness, let them have dominion. And he said, in his image, he made them male and female. He made them both. So he made the man first before he formed him from the dust of the ground. When you study it in the terms of language, you discover that the man that was made in Genesis 1.26 did not have a raw material. It is the man that was created, made, formed in Genesis 2.7 that has a raw material. So there is a man that has a raw material and there is a man that does not have a raw material. It is the man with raw material merged with the man without raw material that formed the soul. So the soul was not created. The soul became. I'm trying to explain the foundation of revival. Because today there are many arguments that we don't need revival. Many arguments. So I'm trying to explain something. So when we start journeying, you will know why we need revival. And you will know why we will keep requiring revival until Jesus comes. So there is a man that was created. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's called bara. It means to make out of nothing. And there's a man that was formed. And that Hebrew word is also called asa. This one was made out of something. So the physical man came from the dust. That's why he depends on what comes from the dust. If you don't eat yam, if you don't eat cassava, if you don't eat rice, you will die. Because this one came from dust. It will depend on dust and the resources of dust forever. However, your life is beyond what came from dust. That's why sometimes when you are fasting, you discover that the quality of your life is improving. Because you don't depend on dust only. It is one third of you that came from dust. Now, the man that does not have a raw material, the question is, who is he? Because that one came from inside God. That one was not created. That one has never been known. He came from within God. Because 
where God stood and said, let us make man, angels didn't go there. When God was creating the earth, the Bible said the sons of the morning gathered and they sang for joy. So they saw how God created some things. But when God wanted to create man, he isolated himself from the princes. He said, Let, that's, I wish I had time to talk to us about the courts of heaven. I would have shown you the executive courts of Zion, where only the Godhead dwells. That's the realm Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy 6, 16, where he said, God dwells in light, unapproachable. So there's a realm God enters beyond heaven. You are the one who thinks God is in heaven. If God is in heaven, then heaven is bigger than God. Because God is in heaven and heaven is in God. <laughs> so, God, God went somewhere and said, let us make man. So, he brought the man from within himself. Now, if you look at that man, he is identical to God. That's why I said, let us make him in our own image, after our likeness. It's like God decided to photocopy himself. And he brought himself out. And he decided to hide himself in dust. So the, the God that was hid in dust is what he called, is called man. So there is a man of the dust. And there is a man of God. The man of God combined with man of dust is what forms a living soul. So when you are dealing with the man, you will discover that he has spirit life. He has bodily life. And he also has soulish life. The spirit life sustains the spirit that came from God. The bodily life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11 said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then the soulish life is called sukeh. That one is in the soul. When a man dies, the bodily life is what dies. That's what you call physical death. So this body ceases to exist. But you see, the soulish life and the spirit life cannot end. So when God says die in that context, it's not cessation. It's actually separation. Because the soulish life is life because it's connected to God. The spirit life is life because it's connected to God. Now when God told the man in the garden, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. He ate it, he was still alive for over 900 years. It's not because God lied. It's because God was referring to the one that came from him. Because the one that came from him is the one that sustains this physical one. So if that one is separated from God, this one will eventually fall and die. Are you following the sequence? So the man that was in the garden was a strange creature. Nobody looked like him. Every animal in the garden had soulish life, bodily life. Every angel that visited the garden had spirit life. Only the man had three lives. While he was walking, he had spirit life, soulish life, and bodily life. But the problem with the man was that he didn't take advantage of the spirit life. Because what would have activated the spirit life, God hid it in a tree called the tree of life. In Genesis 2.9. God had already activated the soulish life when he breathed into him. God had already activated the bodily life when he formed him from the dust. But God told him, look into the garden. Cultivated because God wanted him to find the spirit life and to eat it so that he would become like God. But he didn't eat it. And when he ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was eventually separated from God. So even the soulish life died. Are you following the sequence? He became an ordinary body. So any spirit could dominate him. Demons could enter him and dominate him. 
Every kind of spirit in the realm made the man a slave. So the very existence of the man became an abomination. Because he was created a prince who should ride on horses, but he was trekking. He was laboring on earth. And he, he, he that should rule over the earth became the servant on earth. And when God looked upon him, God decided to do something about him. And it's so fascinating that man was the only person God could do something about. And I will tell you why. Every other spirit did not have body. And because they did not have body, if they are separated from God, they are condemned forever. So when an angel falls, there's no salvation for an angel. He is only spirit. And when that spirit is condemned, there's no way of entering to create a, a, a possibility. But when God created the man, he had a body. So when the man fell, God became man. He used another gate called the biological gate. He became man. And when God became man, there was a basis for paying the price for man. So that man can be restored. That's why man was restorable. I'm trying to draw some logic for you. Because the man was restored, the man was brought back to where life could be imparted again. So when Jesus came, Jesus came to re-impart life that man refused to take from Eden. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth to him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what God came to give us was life. Because we were supposed to take life in Genesis 2.9. We didn't take it. So our design insists that we have spirit life, soulish life, and bodily life. But we didn't take spirit life from the garden. So we ended up with soulish life and bodily life. On the strength of that, we became slaves. When Jesus came, the job of Jesus was to restore the spirit life. Because the soulish life was already there. The bodily life was already there. That's why you don't need to know Jesus to be the greatest inventor. That's why you don't need to know Jesus to be very creative and to make money. Most of the men you see on earth who are inventing things today, they don't know Jesus, but they have the soulish life. You feed the soulish life with information. So when Jesus came, his primary objective was not soulish life, it was not bodily life. His primary objective was to restore the spirit life. Because when the spirit life is restored, then the journey of transformation and transfiguration can begin. Are you following? Now, when Jesus came, he succeeded. Because what he did was that he paid the price for man. And so the judgment that was on man was put upon him. He took our place in death. When he resurrected, he now qualified us to now receive the spirit life. So everybody who is born again receives the spirit life. So he becomes a complete man. Because a complete man is supposed to have spirit life, soulish life, and bodily life. The problem with most of the hyper-grace preachers is that they say, now that you have received spirit life, you don't need revival. And the question is, what about the things that have happened to the soul and the body? All the while that you were dead. Because when Jesus came, he only gave you spirit life. Your soulish life has already been mastered by the elements of this world. Your soulish life has already been mastered by demons. Your bodily life has already been mastered by the elements of this world. Your bodily life has already been mastered by demons. When you receive the spirit life, I will, I will shock you what the Bible said. It said when you receive the spirit life, 
the Holy Ghost decided to seal that life so that it can't be corrupt. In Ephesians 1.13 and in Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Ghost created a gate around your spirit so that your spirit cannot be corrupt. But your soul and your body, he didn't do anything about it. It's your cooperation with him that will do something about your soul. It's your cooperation with him that will do something about your body. So although your spirit cannot be corrupt, although your spirit cannot be dampened, although your spirit cannot be destroyed, although your spirit cannot be attacked, but if you don't do anything about your soul, your soul can be attacked. If you don't do anything about your body, your body can be attacked. The unfortunate thing is that we are created in the image of God. As he is, so are we in this world, in our spirit. But our soul fluctuates. I'm showing you why you need revival. You know why? You come under an atmosphere. And what is in your spirit permeates into your soul. And you catch fire. And you leave that atmosphere, you are burning for God. You now go into society. Somebody dies. Or they attack you in the office. And suddenly, your spirit that was high yesterday receives attack. And your spirit goes down again. If your spirit does not receive fire, you will discover that although, if your soul does not receive fire, you will discover that although your spirit remains high because the Holy Ghost is securing it, but your soul will be down. Because it is your responsibility to protect your soul. Are you following? Why Ephesians 1.13 and Ephesians 4.30 says, the Holy Ghost has shielded our spirit Ephesians 4.27 will say, you give no place to the devil. And in the same way, vain, you also give no place to sin. It says, make no occasion for sin. In the same vein, you also give no place to the elements of this world. But you know the problem? You are still growing. You are still maturing. You are still transforming. You are still transfiguring. Because you have, your soul has not hit where your spirit is. Your body has not hit where your spirit is. Over and over again, you will see that your soul will be suffering from attacks. Your body will be suffering from attack. Even if you fight and you succeed, energy will leave your soul. You will need to be refilled. Energy will leave your body. You will need to be refilled. It is the refilling of the soul from time to time. The refilling of the body to keep it on fire is what we call revival. There is no doctrine that can cancel it. Anybody who says you don't need revival does not even know what he's talking about. Because the soul is always under attack. The part of you now that is divine is your spirit. Him that is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. Your spirit now is divine. It's exactly like God. That's why the Bible does not separate your spirit from the spirit of God. But your soul has not yet been made divine. It's at rapture that your soul will be made divine. It's at rapture that your body will be made divine. So while you are yet waiting for your soul and your body to become divine, your soul and your body will keep fighting with demons. We keep fighting with the affairs of this life. We keep fighting with the circumstances of your environment. And sometimes, no matter how effective you are in shielding your soul, you will discover that certain vibrations, impact will affect you. That's why you will find that even the strongest of us of faith, there are times when we are discouraged. There are times when we are depressed. But the good news is that 
the Holy Ghost is always there to refire us. Every time the Holy Ghost refires us, we call it reviver. Are you following? In Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, the Bible said, from verse 10, they arrested Peter. They arrested John. And they took them to the temple. They locked them up and started threatening them. Why are you preaching in the name of this man called Christ? And I will show you something. These guys were the same guys that came out of the upper room. And they didn't fear anybody. They were not intimidated by anybody. They preached Christ with boldness. And 3,000 was added to the church. Suddenly, the Sanhedrin gathered them together. Took them aside from their company. And said, come, we see that you are talking with boldness. And the whole city is coming to you. How dare you preach in the name of this Jesus? And they locked them up for one night first. To intimidate them. At night, an angel came, took them out. They went to the temple. They were preaching again. They said, okay. Since we only imprisoned you and you think we are joking. They arrested them and brought them back. This time around, they flogged them thoroughly. After they were done flogging them, they came back and they discovered that their boldness diffused. You know why? Because boldness is in the soul. It's not in the spirit. And as their boldness diffused, they didn't go back to the temple again. They went to look for their friends and their brothers. And they went back and locked themselves behind closed door. The same way they locked themselves before the Holy Ghost came. Are you seeing what is happening? These were people who preached boldly. These were people who preached firefully. But now that they have been flogged, they went back and locked themselves as at first before they received the Holy Ghost. If you met them there, you would think they have never received the Holy Ghost. No, they have received the Holy Ghost, but their soul has been buffeted. And so they knew what to do. The Bible said they gathered together and they began to pray. Why do the heathens rage? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? He said the kings of the earth have taken counsel against your son. And they began to say, Lord, behold their threatenings. So although the spirit is charged, but the soul is considering threat. And so they reminded God, behold their threatenings. This threat has diffused our boldness. This threat has diffused our ruggedity. He said, by all means, stretch your hands. That signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child. And the Bible said, the Holy Ghost was poured upon them again. And he said, the place where they were was shaken. And they were filled again with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said something. In verse 30, it said, with boldness. The boldness that was attacked, revival restored it. So the goal of revival is to keep refilling, re-energizing, and replenishing your soul. So that everything that is depleted because of your encounter with spirit and your encounter with men will be resuscitated to keep you on fire. With boldness, the Bible said, they preach the word of God again. And it said, great grace was upon them. If the spirit was not poured out, they would have gone back. If the spirit was not poured out, they would have remained locked away. You would not have heard the gospel. So they have the Holy Ghost. Nobody is challenging their salvation. Nobody is challenging their Holy Ghost feeling experience. But we are saying that if you are not refilled again and again, you will not do the work of God. Did you notice that Peter, who received Christ and was dogged preaching, 
the Bible said at some point they went back to fish. There are many people today who have a calling to many nations. As they are sitting here now, they should be setting Canada on fire. They should be setting England on fire. But their father was hospitalized. They prayed and their father died. Because their father died, they were discouraged. And an arrow was shot into their soul. And every time they want to talk about God, they can't seem to recover from the pains of losing their fathers. For such people, they need another outpouring. If the Holy Ghost is not poured upon them again, that great ministry will die. There are many persons listening to me here today. Once upon a time, they were seeing visions and everything they said came to pass. They were setting people on fire. But at some point, they were ripped. At some point, they lost their job. At some point, they had a sickness and they didn't get the result they were expecting. And because they didn't get the results they were expecting, something slipped into their soul. Something dampened their soul. Something weakened their soul. And for the past seven years, they have not preached to anybody. For the past seven years, they have not prophesied. For the past seven years, they have not ministered to anybody. Why? Because an experience left a scar on their soul. The way God addresses those situations is that He pours out His Spirit upon them. And that's why He said, Until the Spirit be poured upon us again from on high. It has been poured before, but it must be poured again. Until the Spirit be poured upon us again from on high. The wilderness cannot become a fruitful field. The fruitful field cannot become a forest. So for the wilderness to become a fruitful field, and for the fruitful field to become a forest, revival must come again. We confront things every day from spirits to forces in society to territorial powers to men and the agenda of the devil is to kill the energy of your soul to kill the passion of your soul to quench that zeal for God and I tell you there are many sleeping lions today because of their collision with spirits because of their collision with systems because of their collision with men if the spirit is not poured again from on high, ministries will die. Ordinations will die. Callings will fail. This is why conferences like this are important. It's not a place to come and hear another message. It's a place to come and be baptized with fire. It's a place to come and be kindled with fire. It's a place to come and be energized so that you connect with the frequency of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Many years ago I caught a fire And the fire that came into my spirit Was so strong And the only thing I was thinking is How to set young students on fire I called a friend of mine Dressed myself up in suit Well suited And the first school I went to the woman was a half-caste, half-German, half-Nigerian. And I sat down, began to talk to her. How that poor planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. We need to arrest these ones early. We need to arrest these ones young. We need to set them on fire. So that by the time they are going to the university, they will be walking in their ordination. The woman looked at me and said, get out of my office. It was like an arrow shot into my heart. 
I thought because she was a Christian, she would embrace it. I didn't know she had Muslim customers she didn't want to lose. I didn't know she had Hindu customers she didn't want to lose. And as far as she was concerned, her, her, her prosperity in the business was more important than serving God. I, I tried to explain to her, she said, this meeting is over. Her eyes changed. And she said, if I talk again, you will bring the security here. How, how dare you walk into my office to say this nonsense? It, 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 it shook my world. When I walked out of that place, for the next two years, I didn't preach to anybody. Because anywhere I wanted to go to, fear hit my heart. I was thinking the response would be the same. That fear became a torment. There was a calling. There was an ordination to set youths on fire. But somebody shot an arrow into my heart. And because of what she said, that word was before me every day. I couldn't do anything for God until I met a young man who talked to me in the bus. After he finished talking to me about his passion for the youth, a fire fell on me. I left that place and the next bus I entered, I started preaching. That was how the ministry came alive again. Because if the spirit is not poured, ah, the wilderness will remain a wilderness. And you will not know the potential that you carry. This conference is put together to set you on fire. This conference is put together to rekindle your passion. A king can preach. A professor can preach. A student can preach. A beggar can preach. It's not about status. It's about the flames of God. He maketh his angels spirits, but his ministers flames of fire. Elohim Adonai Elohim Adonai Elohim Adonai No, 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 don't worry, don't worry Don't sit down praying tongues These songs come from time to time I'm raising it. <laughs> I'm raising this song because I'm seeing that where I want to travel to, this keyboard is can't go there. He doesn't know my journeys. Ah, he doesn't know my. You are a spiritual man or you are gifted, but you know in the spirit we have different journeys. There are those who travel through waters. There are those who travel through fire. There are those who travel through light. He, he doesn't know. He doesn't know my journeys. Ah, oh my God. I wish. I wish you have to find me in this meeting because we can't remain on earth. <laughs> At some point, we have to disconnect from here. You can't keep me in this auditorium. So be playing, be playing floating sound. Elohim Adonai. Elohim Adonai. Elohim Adonai Elohim Adonai You may be seated. And so when we are talking about revival, our debate is not primarily about your salvation. It's not about your spirit. That's a subject for another day. But when we are talking about revival, 
our focus is to keep your soul and your body at the same frequency with your spirit. Because every second of the day, your spirit is in perfect harmony with the Holy Ghost. And the reason that is so is because the Holy Ghost himself has shielded your spirit. But he expects you to interact with his spirit and his word to keep your soul at that frequency. To keep your body at that frequency. Because when you looked at Jesus, you will discover that at all times, his soul and his body was at the same frequency with his spirit. The only time in scripture we saw that Jesus' body was not at the same frequency with his spirit was at Gethsemane. So you will see that even Jesus, at some point, he needed revival. Because he didn't hide it from us. He said the spirit is willing. He said, but the flesh is weak. That means, for the first time in the constitution of Jesus, he discovered that my, my soul and my body is not in perfect alignment with the spirit. And Jesus began to pray. He said, Father, if it were possible, he said, let this cup pass me by. He said, yet not my will, but thine. I've discovered that although I'm not sinning, although I cannot sin, I've discovered that although I am aligned to you imperfectly, but my spirit is weak. I need energizing in my body for my spirit to be in alignment with your spirit. And so he began to pray. So the first thing Jesus taught us as a body that anybody who wants to walk revival must carry is prayer. And that's why he came to the disciples. He told them, don't think you can do this thing. He said, pray that you fall not into temptation. The men didn't know the secret. They thought it was business as usual. Because everywhere Jesus went, he took over. They, they, he, he came, the, the boat had gone, he walked on the water. So they saw him as a man who was in control all the time. He saw the fig tree, there were no fruit. He, dry, he said, dry up. The next day, they saw that he dried up. He went to Lazarus's tomb. He was dead. They said, Master, he's been dead for four days. Lazarus, come forth. He came back to life. So they thought, no, if Jesus is around, everything is business as usual. He told them, pray. Pray that you fall not into temptation. Because right now, he said, the spirit is willing. The body is weak. When we are discussing the subject of revival, we are trying to deal with the weakness of the body. Because many times, your spirit will be at the same frequency with the Holy Ghost, but your soul will not be. Your body will not be. It's not about renewal alone. It's about energizing. Because this is a weakness. It's not ignorance. It's that you don't have strength in your inner man. And so you need God to rekindle you with fire so that your spirit and your soul and your body will be one. If you find a generation where the devil is having a great harvest, it's because spirit is intact, soul and body is weak. If you find a family where the devil is exploring and taking over, it's not because anything is wrong with spirit, it's because soul and body is weak. If you find an individual in whom the kingdom of God is not prospering, it's not because there's anything wrong with the spirit. The spirit is always in perfect condition. The Bible said the Holy Ghost have sealed your spirit until the day of redemption. However, the soul and the body many times are confronted with things. This is why God keeps baptizing us with fire. This is why God keeps energizing us with fire. So that like Jesus, when we come out of the place of prayer, spirit, soul, and body will become one. Because when the soldiers came, 
They say, whom? He said, whom seek ye? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't hide. He said, I am he. At this time, this body has been energized. The soul has been energized. Whom seek ye? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you already, I am he. The energy he came with was too much. When he introduced himself, they fell down. Because when the soul, the body and the spirit is one, God flows through you. I am he. Soldiers went back and fell. For the second time, whom seek ye? I am he. They went back and fell. And they said, this is your hour. If he wanted to go, he would have gone. But now, there is energy. He can do the will of the Father. Now, there is strength. He can do the will of the Father. He said, take, arrest me. Peter took knife. Because he thought it was about physical energy. Cut off the ear of the man. He said, this thing is not about strength. The strength I'm talking about is not from ATP. The strength I'm talking about is not from glucose. Put your knife away. The same Peter that was wielding knife up and down. When the matter became strong, a young girl came to him and said, you were with him. <laughs> that was when Peter understood revival. I know you. You were with him. Peter said, I swear, in the name of God, I don't know him. I have never seen him. Where was, where is your knife? I thought you were wielding a sword. There is, there are different types of power. There is physical power and there is spiritual power. At this time, Jesus had been revived. So when he stood before Pilate, Pilate told him, I have the power to set you free. He said, no, it's because it's given to you. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, for this cause was I born. For this cause came I into the world. He had power. He couldn't deny himself because he had been revived. But Peter, who was wielding spare, when the young lady said, you, he denied. In that same hour, another person came and said, you are a Galilean. You were with him. He said, I swear, I don't know him. If I know him, let a curse fall upon me. Peter, are you not the great apostle? Are you not the one who followed him everywhere? Are you not the one who swore that you will die for him? They are not even killing you yet. They are only asking you a question of identity. And you are swearing because the body is weak. The problem with many Christians is they have doctrine in their head. They have scriptures on their mouth. But the body is weak. The flesh is weak. And so when they confront challenges, they will discover that the scriptures they are quoting has not entered their spirit. And so the guy can be fellowship leader, but he's still fornicating. The guy can be a pastor, he's still lying. The guy can be an apostle, he's still a thief. Because he didn't spend time for the body to be energized. He said, pray. Pray that you fall not into temptation. Tonight I want to show you three bodies that people who carry revival bear on their shoulder. The first of those bodies is prayer. If you want to be baptized continually, prayer must become your language. It was Jesus himself that taught us in Gethsemane. The way you energize the flesh is by prayer. A generation that seeks revival must be a generation of prayer. There has never been a move of God anywhere without prayer. There has never been a move of God without the sacrifice of intercession. There has never been a move of God except as a generation pray. And woe unto a generation that fails on the altar. You will look at yourself and say, I'm a giant. I'm a good looking man. 
when they show you who you are in the spirit, you'll discover you are a slave. That's why he calls it an abomination. He said, princes are trekking. Why beggars are riding on horses? Because we have reduced our value system to what our brain is telling us. We are bigger than what we think we are. It is only God that can tell us our potentials. It is only God that can tell us our true status in the realm. Everything we have called ourselves is a lie. But the devil will make us feel we are doing well. Because we carve our beards and have a good haircut. Because we dream and have a good size of chest. Because we dress in a Gucci, we think we are succeeding. When they show you your reality from beyond the stars, you will discover you are a prince in the realm of God. But you will not scratch it until your spirit is revived. Until your soul is revived. And until your body is revived. But for you to be revived, you must pay the price for prayer. He said, pray that you fall not into temptation. Three times in one night, Jesus went and prostrated himself. And kept praying. And kept praying until the fire fell. The Bible said angels came and strengthened him. The moment strength came, he stood up, he was ready. And nothing could stop him anymore. Every generation that walked in the path of revival was a praying generation. If you want to see a generation that revival is upon them, check their altar. The altar is the first indicator that revival is coming. The altar is the first indicator that revival is by the corner. And so a generation seeking revival, which is a generation that wants to walk in her full potential, is a praying generation. Genesis 4.26 Please sit down. Men fell. Men became lukewarm. Men no longer walked with God. And the Bible told us something. He said, from the days of Enosh, he said, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's not God that initiates it. God waits to see the hunger of that generation. It is the generation that initiates it. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear. That's when God comes down. Because he wants to see that you have actually recognized that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He wants to see that you have not just recognized it, but you are willing to humble yourself to say, Father, help me. So long as you keep walking like a peacock, and you say, we don't need revival, yet you are not fulfilling your potential, you will remain there. Because there are many people quoting, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but they are living in immorality. There are many people quoting, I have the power of God, and they are not walking in that power. There are many people walking about with, with cassock, but they are deep in iniquity because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Until you come to that point where you access yourself and tell yourself, truly, truly, I need fire. I can't serve God as I ought to. I know by now I should be doing this, I should be doing that, but the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And that understanding takes you to the altar. You are not ready for revival. This was a generation where men became so godless. And the Bible said, they came to a realization that if they don't call upon the name of the Lord, they will never fulfill their potential. And they say, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You'll find this same reality in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, after God spoke to him, get thee out of thy father's house. Get thee out of thy country. Get thee out of thy kindred. Get thee out of thy father's house. The Bible told us, Abraham heard it. Abraham understood it, but he couldn't go. He was so connected with family 
that they couldn't do the will of God. This is not just about sin. This is about your humanity subduing your spirituality. This is about your flesh subduing your spirit. The man had an encounter with God. He heard God clearly. He understood God clearly. Get out of your country. Get out of your kindred. Get out of your father's house. Genesis 12 verse 1. But he didn't move. It was even Tara, his father, that initiated the journey. Took them and started migrating. Where Tara stopped, that was where Abraham stopped. And Tara died. Abraham still could not move. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you find that you are struggling with the will of God, you need revival. If you find that you cannot keep pace with the Holy Ghost, you need revival. The problem is not your spirit. The problem is not your salvation. The problem is that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And the first thing to do, which is the body that every revived person bears, is the body of prayer. And so you saw that in Genesis 12, verse 6 and 7, the Bible said, Abraham raised an altar unto the Lord that appeared to him. The moment you start raising altars, the fire begins to fall. If you don't raise altars, the fire will not fall. Genesis 12, verse 6, the moment he entered the land, he raised an altar. The moment he arrived Bethel, he raised an altar. And then Genesis 13, verse 18, he entered Mamre, he raised an altar. So when you study the life of Abraham, you will not find his tent. But his altars became an eternal memorial. It was one of those altars that Jacob was traveling many years later and he slept upon. The gate was still open. Because when altars are erected, heavens are perpetually open. Even though Abraham was no longer there, that gate could not be shut. So long as there's life on that altar, the heavens will remain open. The key to revival is prayer. A generation that seeks revival must pay the price of prayer. The fathers of old knew it and they did it. Because as you start paying that price, the fire begins to fall. Even the disciples of Jesus, they walked with him for three and a half years. When Jesus left, fear hit them. These were people who traveled with Jesus everywhere. Suddenly, Jesus resurrected. They saw him. Jesus ascended. They saw him. And the moment Jesus vanished into the cloud, fear hit them. They were not seen him. But they went and locked themselves. Gospel has ended. And suddenly we heard that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Acts 2 verse 1, it said they were together in one accord in the upper room. They were there in prayer. And as they were there praying, church history told us they prayed for 10 days non-stop. As they were there praying, the movements began in the spirit. And on the 10th day, which was actually the day of Pentecost, the Bible said they heard the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And suddenly fire fell on every one of them. Every time we visit the altar of prayer, we are stirring the fall of the fire. And that's why the hardest thing for the devil to attack in the life of a man is prayer. And the hardest thing to recover if lost is prayer. Because that is where the knot of intimacy is, is hinged upon. If the devil gets your prayer, he has gotten you. And if you get your prayer back, the devil has lost you. That negotiation is an absolute negotiation. As a man is praying, the fire will be falling. 
the apostles knew it. In Acts chapter 4, they went back to their closet and they lifted their voices and they began to pray. And as they prayed, the fire fell. The fire will always trace the praying altar. It will never miss it. The precision is always 100%. Why is this so important? It's important for three reasons. Number one, prayer in the realm of God is a demonstration. It's an act of sacrifice. When God sees a man praying, what he's seeing is the sacrifice on the altar. And every time the sacrifice comes on the altar, the fire falls. Study Leviticus, study Deuteronomy. Every time the sacrifice comes on the altar, the fire falls. If the sacrifice is not on the altar, you will never see the fire. And in the realm of God, prayer is considered to be a huge sacrifice. In Colossians 4.12, Paul was speaking concerning the Epaphras. He said, Epaphras is one of you. He's a born servant of Christ. He said, he's laboring for you fervently in prayers that you might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So, when Epaphras goes to the altar, God does not just see it as interaction. God sees it as labor. God sees it as sacrifice. God sees it as a, an offering put on the altar. And the moment that happens, a, a servant begins to go to heaven. That's why I said the prayers of the saints are sent to heaven as orders. They are stored in golden vials. Every time your prayer begins to rise in the spirit, God sees it as the incense that rises from the sacrifice. This is what provokes the fall of the fire. A generation that seeks revival is a praying generation. If we say we are looking for revival, revival is not preached, it is prayed. No matter how you preach revival, it will never come. At best, that preaching will stir the hearts of people to pray. If men don't pray, the fire will not fall. You don't achieve revival by preaching. You achieve it by prayer. Study all the history of revival. Every time the fire of God fell, people gathered and they started praying. Most of you have read of the Azusa Street Revival. They gathered every day and they were praying for five hours. And while they were praying, the Holy Ghost told them, increase that prayer to seven hours if you want to see the move of God. Because what you are doing here, the incense is coming up, but the volume is not enough. We need more incense for the fire to fall. And they increased the prayer from five hours to seven hours. As they prayed, months passed. One month, two months, three months. Nothing seemed to be happening. But the clouds were being saturated. The clouds. The, the angels were storing the incense. They were storing the incense. The moment the cloud became filled, the fire fell. And as the fire fell, it defied government. It defied racial barriers. It defied educational difference. It defied class. What they were seeing was the move of the spirit. What they were seeing was the move of the spirit. If our generation seek revival, we must go back to the altar. This is a huge sacrifice, but we must bear it if the fire will come. If the fire does not come, the danger is that a whole generation can pass. It does not affect God. From Malachi to John, church history told us there were 400 years of darkness. People died. God was not moved. You know why? Because it's called ancient of days. 
you are the one working with time, not him. If you want him to move in your generation, you must insist on the altar. And when God eventually moved by bringing Jesus, guess the people he met? He met only the intercessors. He didn't meet the Sanhedrin. There were over 400 men who were doctors of the law. They knew the laws of Moses. They had all the long beards. God didn't go to them because they have no stake in the revival. They were in the synagogue every day. They sat in the best of seats. They were honored in the synagogue. But when the move began, they were not recognized. Because as far as the incense were checked, their signature was not there. They only had titles among men. In fact, in that era, there were two chief priests. One was a political chief priest, another was a religious chief priest. But when God came, he boycotted all of them. Guess the people God met. He went and met Elizabeth. And told her about the Messiah that was coming. The moment Elizabeth saw Mary, he said, why has the mother of my Lord come to see me? How did she know? Who taught her? That means she was receiving whispers from heaven. Simeon was in the temple. He wasn't even aware of the schedule. The moment they brought Jesus to the temple, the Bible says Simeon moved by the Spirit and entered. The Holy Ghost told him, what you are praying for has come. And the, the Sanhedrin were there. They didn't know him. Do you know that Jesus lived on earth for 33 years? They still did not know him. Because only those who were praying had a stake in that revival. And the moment the revival began, the Holy Ghost looked for all of them. Some were women, some were beggars. Their status didn't matter. He said, Simeon was moved into the temple by the Holy Ghost. And when he saw the child, of all the children that were brought, he knew who was the Messiah. He went straight to him and carried him. He said, now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. He said, now my eyes. How did he know? Because when he started praying, he made himself one of the patriarchs of that revival. And you know the wonder of it? That is when you will now discover that the womb that carried Jesus was not the womb of Mary. You will discover that the womb that carried Jesus was the womb of the intercessors. <laughs> the moment Jesus showed up, they started inviting the real parents because the real parents were the parents of the Spirit. And they showed up and began to define his ordination. While Mary and Joseph were still contemplating, what manner of thing is this? Another man showed up and said, Behold the salvation of Israel. He said, His rising shall be the fall of many. And he was talking the things that were written in the scrolls of heaven. Because when he was praying, he betted it. He opened the gate of that generation. He opened the gate of that dispensation. As an intercessor, he made his mark in Zion. Those who bear the burdens of revival are those who pray revival on the altar. As you pray, you may not be many. But when revival comes, the fire will find all the heads that did the praying. When the devil wants to remove you from God's agenda, he stops you from praying. You can be the son of a bishop. You may not be part of the revival. You can be an elder in a church. You may not be part of the revival. The whole Sanhedrin were exonerated. Only the intercessors were found. This is why we are staring and sounding the alarm so that men will rise on the altar. For you, it may be 30 minutes. Start from there. That's the much your spirit can carry. Start. For you, it may be 10 minutes. Start from there. 
Every day, make sure you plug in your quota. Because this thing is a quorum. It's a quorum. For the upper room, there were 120. Our generation, we don't know the quorum. It may be 10,000. And that your five-minute prayer may be what God considers as making you part of the quorum. Every day, you inject 10 minutes. Every day, you inject 10 minutes. After a while, God will see that this thing will take 15 years. And men are not being recruited. What he will do is that, in order to shrink the years, he will increase your time. He will tell you, move it from 10 minutes to 20. And you are praying, and you are praying. And God is checking the earth. This thing needs to be reduced to 5 years. Because of the urgency. And then he will come back to you and say, 20 minutes is not enough. Make it 2 hours. The goal is not the time. The goal is what God is doing in heaven. So don't go out and preach time. Preach intimacy. Preach energy. Preach intensity. Because that's what God is doing. It's incense that are accumulating in heaven. And then a point comes, God says, no, this thing has to be five months. Because if I don't reduce the time, the, the damage the devil is causing will be too much. Governments of nations have been taken over by criminals. Iniquity and immorality, perversion is taking over. Some of the prophetesses that I want to use might become harlots. The fire has to come quick. So he will come back to those of you praying and say, move it from two hours to seven hours. And you don't know why you are praying there. Even when you don't feel like you are sleeping but the spirit wakes you up. You are lying on your bed but your mouth is shaking. Because you, you are resetting the season. You are resetting the season. You have become a sacrifice. Did you not read about Jesus? The season Jesus was supposed to be tempted became the season of his announcement. What happened? He injected 40 days of prayer and fasting. After he pushed prayer and fasting, that season was reprogrammed in the spirit. When Jesus returned, he said he returned in the power of the spirit. When Jesus returned, he said his fame went abroad. I thought the Bible said the spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted. How did temptation become fame? How did temptation become power? Because every time we are plugging it out of prayer, plugging it out of intercession, we are recalibrating the season. We are reprogramming the season. The visitation of God in Ghana may be scheduled for 2017, 2027, because 50 people are praying. And God says, no, 50 people cannot do this job. I need to visit Ghana before 2027. If not, their abortion, my, 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 my warriors might be aborted. My prophets might be aborted. And because they should not be aborted, I have to visit in 2024. And what will God do in order to come for 2024? Is either the quorum increases from 10,000 to 50,000, or the 10,000 will have to increase the hour of prayer. And so if God cannot recruit more into the quorum, God will give more hunger. So the people who were praying for one hour, will start praying for six hours, will start praying for seven hours. And the more they pray, the more the fires are filled. The more the fires are filled, the more the heavens open. And what should have happened in 2027, happens in 2024. So that the children that should be aborted in 2025, will escape the abortion. Because the gear that should have aborted the child, will be passing and will enter the revival meeting. That gear will come out of that revival meeting as a prophetess. The boy that should have carried God to kill somebody in 2026, enters the revival meeting. And that boy comes out as an apostle. They, 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 they 
president that would have entered the throne and siphoned the economy of Ghana. Suddenly, the move hits him, even in his palace. And then he repents. And then he's convicted. And instead of channeling the resources of Ghana to Dubai, he begins to develop the economy. So you discover that the way God, by cuts human intelligence, is by pouring out his spirit. But for his spirit to be poured, intercessors must rise. The quorum must be met. The vias must be filled. This is why hunger has come to your spirit. You are not praying now because you have a problem. You are praying now because God must visit again. You are not praying now because you are sick. You are praying because God must visit again. The destiny of your nation depends on your altar. It depends on your altar. The captains of a generation may not be known by men, but spirits know them. Spirits know them. You will think the election is all about who has connection. Wait until revival comes. That's when you will see manipulations. Some angels are masters of, 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 of power. They know how to wield scepters. They know how to change the fortune overnight. And you will discover that the new Ghana can be shaped from the altar. That's how it works. There's so much corruption in my nation. That's why we are praying. We know that we don't know who to call. We know we don't know the fraternity to create. We know in human terms, we cannot change what is going on. But when we go to the altar, when we go to the altar, we connect to people who have been. We connect to people who will be. We connect to angels who are in heaven. We connect to angels who are on earth. Because on the altar, anything is possible. Did you not read that when Jesus went to pray, Moses and Elijah showed up? Some of the battles you are fighting in Ghana, you need your fathers who have gone to heaven to come back. Because they are the ones who have legitimacy over the throne. But the only way they can come to meet you is on the altar. Elijah will not go to the palace, but Elijah can appear on the altar. Moses will not go to the palace, but Moses can appear on the altar. There are times when you go to pray, and they go back to the chronicles of Ghana, and they bring the lexicon, and say, this was what they told Kwame Nkrumah. The, 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 the blueprint is not what is being done now. And so, they will have to summon the elders again. The prophets that walk Ghana 70 years, they will have to bring them back so that they present their witnesses. And so when you come out of that altar, you are not coming out as an individual. You are coming with a witness and the testimonies of the prophets that were. And so when you talk, the weight of your utterance will be older than you. You'll be talking by the voice of many. You'll be talking by the strength of witnesses. You'll be talking by the witnesses of many prophets. Because when you went to the altar, you went back to where time began. That's why revival depends on intercession. What do you think we can do now to change what is going on? Do you see the level of perversion? People are agitating all over the world that a man wants to marry a man. A woman wants to marry a woman. And governments have taken it upon their shoulders to force other nations to adopt it. Even when we tell them it's not our culture, they tell you if you don't do it, it will affect your bilateral relationship. It will affect assigning visa to you. We will not have a relationship with you. Why? Because a handful of people decide to embrace perversion. A woman says she lost a woman. A man says she lost a man. They are violating the code of creation. And they are not the ones fighting. Governments of nations are coming to your own nation to force you to adopt it. You don't know that princes are involved. You think that's human intelligence? 
you don't know that pervasive spirits are involved. Imagine the level of corruption. Every young lady wants to be naked. She doesn't know why. Because as far as she's concerned, the whispers from the demonic realm is that beauty is nakedness. And so every young lady thinks until she's naked, she's not beautiful. Every young man thinks success is money. And it doesn't matter how you get the money. You can kill. You can maim. You can join the all-cut world. So long as you have money, you are successful. And people are going to sell their soul. People are killing their parents just to make money. And so long as they drive a flashy car, it doesn't matter. Is that the world you will come with English language and take over? Is that the world you will come with, with Ashanti language and take over? No, you can't do that. You need some angels to walk through Ghana. You need some princes to come into Ghana. The Bible said, as Daniel was praying, it said Michael was mobilized. When Michael, Gabriel was mobilized. When Gabriel was attacked, it said Michael was mobilized. And when Gabriel came, he said, I was made to fly swiftly. To give you wisdom. To give you power. And he said, when I return, I will go and contend with the prince of patience. There is a prince over Ghana. If we don't pray, certain angels will not be mobilized. And if they are not mobilized, revival will not come. We have to pray. Listen. That's why you cannot leave this conference unless you are baptized with fire. Because for certain archangels to come into a city, prayer must last for aeons. Prayer, prayer, prayer. He said in Acts chapter 12, he said when Peter was locked up, he said prayers it was made. They didn't pray prayers. They made prayers. Day and night, even at midnight, people were praying. Until Peter was released. How was he released? An angel descended. If some angels don't come down, the gates will not open. If some angels don't come down, the foundation will not shake. This is why the church of prayer must emerge. We have an advantage, but it can be unlocked only by prayer. We have an advantage, but if we don't unlock it by prayer, we will look disadvantaged. The first burden of revival is the burden of prayer. And this kind of prayer is a prayer that makes you a sacrifice. Because many times you will not desire it. Many times it will not make sense. But you will have no choice. You know why? You have become a born servant. In Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras is a born servant. There is no, there's no continent in the world today that has as much potential as Africa. But they are princes of corruption. They are princes of perversion. They are princes of wickedness. That have hijacked our potential. If the church is quiet. Men who, has already, who have already fraternized with spirit. Will sell our inheritance. The church must rise again. This revival is not just about speaking in tongues. This revival is not just about going about and saying I'm a Christian. No. It's to change the economy. It's to change government. It's to change the ideology. It's to change the philosophy. So we need that fire to come. And we need some entities to join us in this battle. But only in prayer can such a thing happen. Only in prayer. Only in prayer. Only in prayer. I'm telling you. When you pray, you will see things. 
Sometimes when you start praying, Daniel will come to you and tell you the secret that he knows that made him to overcome Babylon. And he will show you those secrets so that you can take over your own nation. Sometimes when you pray, Moses will come to you to show you the secrets that he knew that made him to overthrow Pharaoh. Because if you don't know those secrets, you can't overthrow your own government. Because these men, they are not dead. They are called spirit of just men made perfect. And the place where we can convert with them again is on the altar. That's why when Jesus was praying, he said Moses and Elijah came to him and told him what he will do in Jerusalem. Revival is born on the shoulders of men who pray. Of men who pray. Of men who pray. The church today can act drama. The church can sing. The church can have concert. But one thing the church is not doing is prayer. Our fathers of old, when they came for vigil, they prayed from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Our vigils today start by 12 midnight. Because we know we don't have men of capacity. Vigil starts 12 and it ends 3. Any vigil that begins from 10 to 3, we will sing for 2 hours, act drama for 1 hour, and preach for 1 hour. Prayer will be for 30 minutes. Because there's no stamina. And because there's no stamina, we are not raising incense to heaven. How can the fire fall? How can the princes join forces with us to war? Every time Jesus prayed, the Bible said angels came and strengthened him. In the Bible, when they prayed, angels descended. When they prayed, fire descended. The praying church must emerge again. If we want revival, we have preached it enough. It's time to pray it. Can we pray for one minute? Can we pray for one minute? The fire for prayer. The fire for intercession. The same. Your name is to be hallowed. Aduna. Aduna. Your name is to be hallowed. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, your name is to be hallowed.
Listen. The Lord told me, when I said to the believer, you are the start of the earth, he said, I'm talking to the praying believer. Because I expect every believer to be a man of prayer. You can't preserve nothing without praying. When we pray, we become stakeholders in revival. When we pray, we mobilize angelic functionaries that provoke revival. When we pray, we reset the seasons to become seasons of revival. That's why prayer is too important. And the reason God does all of this is because when He sees us praying, He sees us as the sacrifice on the altar. The second thing prayer does that makes for the activation of revival is that the power in your spirit, prayer energizes it. Everyone seated here, there is a weight of God in you that if it breaks upon your generation, it can water your generation. The Bible speaking concerning John. John didn't stir revival because fire fell from heaven. John stirred revival because fire erupted from his belly. The Bible said he was a burning and a shining light. And he said you were willing to stay under his light for a season. So while we are praying corporately for the fire to fall from heaven, there is also a fire in your spirit that should erupt. Jesus was speaking in John 7, 38. He said, out of their bellies shall flow rivers. So there are rivers of living water in your spirit man. But you see, for that power to be unlocked, you must stay it up in prayer. This is why when the Holy Ghost came, one gift that he gave to everybody immediately was speaking in tongues. Because when we pray in an unknown tongue, we are doing spiritual exercise. Physical exercise unleashes your natural potential. But it will take spiritual exercise to unleash your spiritual potential. It says spiritual exercise profited little. It says but godliness or spiritual physical exercise profits little. It says but godliness or spiritual exercise is that it profits more in this life and even in the life to come. So we are expected to exercise our spirit. And the way we exercise our spirit is by prayer. When you start praying, you will discover there is a fountain on your inside. And do you know the irony? Even God cannot do much with you except as that power is unlocked. In Ephesians 3.20, He said, God is only able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think according, not the power in heaven, the power to work on your inside. The power. The power. There's a power on your inside. Prayer helps you to put it to work. That's why when you pray, you discover, you come out, something awakens on your inside. You never knew it was there. Boldness. Dimensions that you didn't know were there. They are suddenly unlocked. So while you are waiting for the general outpouring, you have to pour out what is in your spirit to your generation. There are millions of people that can drink from the well that is in your spirit. There are millions of people that can be empowered and be set on fire by the fire that is in your spirit. So while you are waiting for God to stay and outpouring, take responsibility to unlock your belly. He said, as soon as Zion traveled, there is an offspring to give birth to. Your children are not only the physical ones 
that bear your name. Your children are also the dimensions of God that you release to your generation. There are some of you hearing me here. You are supposed to release the river of healing. There are some of you hearing me here. You are supposed to release the river of prophecy. There are some of you hearing me here. You are supposed to release the river of wisdom. But that river is lost. And so your generation is starving. When we go to the altar, we are insisting we must give birth to our dimension. Whatever God has planted on my inside, my generation must drink of it. That is also revival. Imagine if you go to heaven today and they told you that Ghana was waiting on you to unlock the light for invention. That the key to invention was in your spirit. That if you had manifested, the light from you would have activated men to begin to invent things. Imagine if you appear before God today and God told you that the key to the prosperity of Ghana was in you and that there were only five of you that carried it but you never unlocked it. What will you call life? You would have called life a waste. And you may have had cars on earth, but you didn't do what you were sent here to do. Because before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. And there was an ordination on your life. But it's on the altar that you release the potential of those ordinations. It has no regard for age. It has no regard for gender. It has regard for your engagements in the spirit. May you not go to heaven and discover that you were the prophet Ghana was waiting for. May you not go to heaven and discover that you are the inventor Ghana was waiting for. May you not go to heaven and discover that you are the leader, the president, the governor, the mayor that Ghana was waiting for. By all means, while you are on earth, you must incubate until you give birth. You must give birth. You must give birth. Your children are not only your physical offsprings, your real offsprings are the spiritual dimensions that come out of you. locked on your inside your generation is not looking for your face they are looking for the dimension you represent it doesn't matter how many times you have failed just set, just be set on fire imagine the Peter that denied Jesus before a young girl when the fire came he stood before thousands and he preached Christ with boldness and three thousand was added to the church what was the difference? So Peter can win 3,000 people. Peter that denied Jesus before a small girl. You don't know what you carry except as you incubate upon it. Somebody will unlock something from a spirit that his generation will not recover from. And finally, when we begin to pray, we are transfigured. He said, we all with open faces beholding us in the glass. The glory of the Lord. He said, we are changed. He said, we are changed. There are many versions of you. 
Your transfiguration is not physical. Most of us, when we were children, we didn't have teeth. All of us. It was at a level teeth began to appear. At a level we couldn't walk. At a level we didn't know what it meant to be dressed and well dressed. As we grew, different potentials began to come out. Different potentials. The reason we are giving birth today is because we came to an age called puberty. And we discovered that even some hormones that were dormant in us suddenly came alive. That's how transfiguration works. As you are beholding him, him in prayer and seeing different realms of God, different potentials begin to manifest. That is where your full version comes alive. He said in Jeremiah 33 verse 3, he said, ask of me. He said, I will answer. He said, but I will not only answer. He said, I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. There are things in God that he needs to show you so that you can be activated. Because when we see him, we shall be like him. If you know your dimension, even you will be scared of yourself. He said you were carefully and wonderfully made. You know who was talking? It was not an angel, it was God. And when you were created, nobody was there. So the person who marveled at you was God. God who knows all things, the Almighty, when he looked at you, his recommendation was that you were carefully and wonderful. So even to God, you were wonderful. If you are wonderful to God, should your generation not marvel at you? That's why Isaiah said, I and the children that the Lord has given to me. He said, we are for signs and we are for wonders. But it will take many transfigurations for the wonder dimension of you to manifest. And it's on the altar that those transfigurations take place. Because when we start praying, it begins to show us. And the law of the Spirit is that you become what you see. And you become what you hear. And those who don't pray, they never see nor hear. When we pray, we are transfigured. Do you know what church is? Church is called ecclesia. That means we are not members of a church. We are citizens of a kingdom. And if we are citizens, then we represent dimensions. When we gather like this, it's like a senate chamber. Everybody representing a constituency. And so there are stakes that every one of us command. But it's our transfigured dimension that can begin to present those weapons. This is why you cannot but pray. And every time we talk revival, we talk revival from prayer. Because when you pray, you become the sacrifice. And as sacrifice, raising incense to heaven, you provoke an outpouring. You can change seasons. You can invite angelic functionaries. You can even invite spirit of just men made perfect to come back and participate in the war of your age. And when you also pray, you unlock the power that is supposed to be at work on your inside. And when you pray, you are transfigured from one level of glory to another level of glory. Can we lift our hands toward heaven? I wanted to teach. I don't know why I couldn't. I tried to gather myself. I just couldn't get myself together. Perhaps God is trying to create a rumble in this atmosphere for what he wants to achieve. Lift your hands toward heaven. In the next one minute, ask the Lord for a touch. 
This is the first session of the meeting. So there is a first wave that will come here. Ask the Lord for a touch, just a touch, to prepare your heart for what will happen in another two hours. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, your name is so behaloud. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, your name heaven we're out of time some of you who are hearing me now your hunger have reached the heavens now I understand I understand that most of you here tonight what you came for is not a message you came for an encounter you came for a touch a tangible touch of the Holy Ghost I'm not ministering in the spirit now. I will do that in the second session. But because you came with hunger, I want to ask God to give some of you a fresh baptism. So that the things I share, you will experience it. You will leave this conference, you will discover that prayer is not just rabarabaraba for two hours. That prayer is a journey. That when you pray, you meet things. And when you pray, you are sent to realms. There are certain realms you enter. And certain things are entrusted to you for your generation. As you are praying, there are places you come to. They give you wisdom. And say, take this wisdom on the behalf of your generation. That's why you will say things that those who study don't know. There are certain realms you enter. They give you power as an entrustment for your generation. There are certain realms you enter. They give you the presence of God as an entrustment for your generation. Like Moses carried the Shekinah as an entrustment for his generation. Everybody that followed him walked under that atmosphere. That's how things are committed. Can you lift your hands toward heaven? So that you will experience prayer at another level. If we can, let's be quiet you don't have to pray now for the next one minute. This is for those who came here truly hungry. I will just lay hands on you quickly. But the Holy Ghost will drop something on you first. Father, thank you.
This is that moment where you begin your selection process. The men that you want to quicken. The men that you want to cause to gain ascension. He said, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. He said, I was in the spirit on the last day. I heard a sound as of a trumpet. And a door opened in heaven. And he said, come up here. Wherever you are standing. Now. 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 Let there be a touch. By the spirit. From the left to the right. From the front to the back. To those watching online. Take that fire. Please bring them here quickly. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, your name is so be hallowed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ushers, please help them. In the name of Jesus. He said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. You didn't just appear here because two people fell in love. You came here because it was written. There are seven of you here that the scrolls, the scrolls of your ordination is about to be read. You have walked the earth for many years you have not even discovered who you are. But right now, the angels are about to read out the scrolls of your destiny. Your spirit will catch it. 
and the heavens will open over you now. Father, wherever they are, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, step into that realm now. We you. We worship you. We by this message you just listened to and you wish to make Jesus your Lord and personal Savior, kindly repeat the prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for my sins. He was raised from the dead for my justification. I, therefore, confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I receive eternal life into my spirit. I am born again. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you just said this prayers, congratulations. You are now a member of the family of God. Kindly send us an email. Prayer at EncounterJesusMinistriesInternational.org You can also visit our website at www.EncounterJesusMinistriesInternational.org God bless you.